<laughs> Welcome to yet another episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. As always, I'm your host, Jolene, and I have with me this week, Talia. Talia, would you like to say hello to the audience? Hi. And Talia, how would you describe your gender? Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I've recently been just kind of rolling with, like, dyke thing. I really, like, lashed on to the concept of dykes aren't women when I first heard about it, and I've, it's sort of grown and progressed from there uh, into just amorphous dykeism. Hell yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that. <laughs> okay. Talia, what is your favorite animal? That is so hard. Um, I feel like I have to say that's because they're like my core like animal I know things about. Okay. Um, and I do love them so much and I uh, just think about them constantly. Um, but I also really like just kind of like any weird fucked up little animal. I really like vultures. Okay, that's that's interesting. My favorite animal <laughs> um, is the elephant. I've always nice had a deep, um, a deep like, uh, I don't know, just fondness. One year my parents, um, for Christmas, donated some money to like an elephant sanctuary in my name, and I cried. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> that's sweet. I cried for like twenty minutes, and then like periodically for a couple of months after, which is continue crying. Um, Do you? It felt, it felt very no, thoughtful. Sorry. That's <laughs> sorry, so what? sweet. Thank um, you. Do you know about the like landmine uh, tuberculosis sniffing rats? What? <laughs> Do they sniff okay. both, both landmines and tuberculosis? Or Oh, I'm under the impression that a lot of them can do both, um, but I'm sure maybe some of them are just specialized. But anytime I, like, try to explain these creatures in depth, I get, like, very teary-eyed <laughs> because they're just, like, little rats and they're, like, sniffing out landmines and tuberculosis and saving people just because they get a banana at the end. Mm, that's and so it's sweet. so sweet. And they're like saving people. It literally, I can't, like, it'll make me cry. Oh, they get bananas. That's <laughs> yeah, so cute. it's really adorable. Um, yeah, I love audience. those guys. <laughs> audience, in case you haven't put this together yet, um, this episode is when a species has really fucked genders. Um, we're going to be talking about animal facts. Um, slight departure from your usual programming, but um, I don't know. Maybe there will also be some interesting stuff about philosophy of biology and gender and um, the relationship between human concepts and non-human entities or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where we're going. Um why don't I don't know. What you said you took like some notes and you have some some animal facts ready to go. I also have some animal facts ready to go. Um Okay, but sweet. I'll, I'll I'll let you I'll let you start because you're you're the guest. Um Oh sorry. And I also have to pull up um, <laughs> some stuff. Um, 
I will say a lot of these facts are about uh, like marine life due to the fact that I took a marine biology course for my science requirement back in college. Uh, and I like drew from my notes a lot. Um, but when you said uh, that you have some funny animal stories, the first thing that popped into my mind was like, in class, we were looking at uh, starfish in petri dishes in a lab so that they wouldn't like dry out and die. And starfish, a lot of them reproduce through broadcast spawning, uh, which is where they basically release their like sperm and egg into the water and it fertilizes there uh, and new starfish will be born. Um, but when my lab partner and I were looking at our starfish, it just started releasing like copious amounts of sperm and it <laughs> would not stop. Like the water got cloudy and we told our professor and our professor was like, oh my God, this is great. Had us all look under the microscope and then was like, okay, actually, like, I need to move your starfish because it's going to suffocate if I leave it in this dish. Um, so I watched the starfish almost suffocate itself by just, like, relentlessly ejaculating into a petri dish. So it was really a highlight. What a um, way to go. What a way to go. It would have been a way to go. I think he, I think he made it, but it would have been a really, really funny way to go. Amazing. Yeah. One of one of my animal stories is actually kind of similar. So I oh. have um <laughs> maybe I don't know. It involves coming. Um <laughs> awesome. I have um some I have two pet geckos. Um I see them. They're so cute. Yeah. One of them is a crested gecko. Um mm. and, and I mean this is well, I don't actually know. This behavior I've been told is very typical for crested geckos. Um, but I, I like to, I like to use this story actually sometimes to like, um, demonstrate the difference between like assignment and, um, anatomy because like oftentimes, right. I feel like assignment has come to stood in, stand in for anatomy and like conversations, right. um, which isn't what it is, right? Like assignment is like the sort of like social and like sort of like, I mean, for humans, like biomedical process, but- um, Yeah, for sure. For lizards, <laughs> <laughs> we assign them genders too. Um, sometimes- We do. Sometimes even before they hatch, um, right? Like you have, um, oh. with some species of lizards, they have temperature, uh, temperature sensitive sex selection, right? Where- Right, Depending yes. on the temperature of the eggs incubating, they'll either develop as male or female. So, you know, they, um, in breeding, sometimes like they'll they'll try to um, breed geckos. To, they'll try to influence the offspring to have a certain male to female ratio for I don't oh fascinating I don't know what reason but um once the lizard is actually. Yeah, I well, I don't, I don't really, I don't understand breeding. But once the once the once the gecko's actually hatched, they um, it's it's kind of hard to actually tell what their what their sex is immediately, um, because their genitals are internal most of the time. They have um, hemi well, the males have hemi peens and the females mm. don't. But um, the hemi peens are like tucked up inside of a slit. That they can they right. can invert them out, but they they don't normally. Um, 
But um, and when they're when they're young, you can't really tell the difference. Um, as they get older, they sort of um, they have like balls. <laughs> like <laughs> the only way you can really describe it. Like they have like like I'm pretty sure that's what they are. Is I'm pretty sure that it's like testicles. Probably. Or that they probably have like a different name, but they are like the sperm producing organs, and you can see them mm-hmm. like they're like a little bump that the female doesn't have. Anyhow, I was given my crested gecko by a friend who was uh, no longer able to take care of her, and I call her her because when she was given to me, I was told this is a girl, this is a female gecko, and I was like, okay, sure. cool. And then like one day, um was looking at her and she just turned around and stuck her head into her little slit and inverted or exverted or whatever shot out a hemipene and just started licking it and then um, came came in her own mouth um oh wow that's incredible um, and I've since I've since seen her do this like multiple times. There was one time like um a friend was dropping a roommate off at our house and the friend came in and we were showing him around and we were looking at the geckos and I was like, Oh yeah, and this is, you know, my gecko, Aster. And she just like right on cue was like, you know what, I wanna come in my own mouth. <laughs> Auto solution <laughs> time. So she did it. But the the point is, is right, right, that, you know, we're really bad at assigning geckos sexes. Um, I mean, we can try to do the whole temperature thing, but when it comes to, like, looking at their body and sort of picking out an anatomy and matching it to a sex, it's a lot harder than um, it is with humans. And I mean, I guess, with you know, if we can sort of, the question of what uh, criterion are we using to say, like, good sex assignment, um, I guess right. I'll... I'll I'll accept the criterion of you know uh, fascist science for the sake of this conversation. Yeah, um, I was thinking about that before we started talking. <laughs> like, I gender my like cat for fun. Like, I think it's a really fun shtick to like buy her only pink things and like I'll call her like Miss Female Lady Girl Woman just because I think it's really funny because she's a cat and she has no idea what that means. <laughs> Um, well, just really like, hi, woman, um, hi, adult human female. Um, but she doesn't know she's a fucking cat. Um, yeah, but yeah, like for most animals, I mean, as far as we know, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, in a weird way, they, I guess they do socialize sex in a way that seems like gender where there's, uh, like certain insect animals that are dominant in the hierarchies of their species um which is kind of fascinating but i think it's uh, a stretch to like imply that it carries the same kind of weight as it does in uh human society well um, it's just so yeah. it's it it's just it's so hard to like one like look at animals and not anthropomorphize them um it's so hard and then like two to like if you sort of manage to avoid that it's then still difficult to just be like okay, well, what the fuck could this mean? And just be like, that is, like, literally just, like, a limit. Like, we cannot know. At least, like, to the extent that, like, we could know, we don't know how to know yet. And, like... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, um, oh, I think it's... um. 
But yeah, no, it's 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 so fascinating. There's so many like interesting sorts of like I don't know, like things with animals <laughs> with animals. There's so many interesting like the way that they do sex and gender is like so complex and so like like honeybees, right? Have like social manipulation of biological characteristics to modulate sex, right? Like the queen bee is a like female bee that has been fed a specific diet that's distinct from all the other bees, but there's no reason why they couldn't all, you know, eat the royal jelly um, their entire lives and and grow up to all be fertile. Besides the fact that that would, you know, cause some sort of social problem for them, presumably. I don't actually know for sure. I assume it would. Um, yeah, well, the whole structure or, revolves around there being one, right? So. Yeah, I assume. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Like, I think I don't know that much about bees. I mean, but, but like, I mean, but it's also like you know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't know that much about bees either. I was just kind of like looking <laughs> at them because I was like, oh, I know bees have like a weird. Well, and like you see, sometimes people will say like, "Oh, bees have like you know three sexes or five sexes, depending on how you count it, or like different things, right?" This is what I was curious about. I was curious about like you hear people talk about like, "Oh, you know, some species of animals have like all these sorts of different sexes." Um, and it, I mean, it yeah. all really does come down to like how you want to describe a sex or whatnot. Um, you know, I I know I sent you the thesis statement episode where I like talk a lot about the kind of like what I saw as like a steel manned idea of sex, right? This like normal mm-hmm. development down one of two pathways. And it's like, you know, the, the the specific number I think is kind of unimportant conceptually. Um, I did right. do some reading to try to like sort of like figure out like, well, why are there two? And the answer seems to be like, <laughs> um, going beyond two would be like a real like it just is like really unlikely to be a good strategy and so it hasn't happened that's like the right. other thing that's the other thing with like talking about right and like thinking about like all this stuff like sort of like evolutionarily it's like people are so like <laughs> christian um <laughs> yeah it's true like even it's like also- even like atheists are so christian about this <laughs> like yeah um yeah, what were you going to say? <laughs> I was just going to say, it's also funny how, like, uh, there even becomes sort of a, a different, like, terminology used in sexing animals um, or gendering them, kind of, as you talked about in the thesis statement episode, essentially sort of the same thing. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, they'll use, like, biologists will use male and female, which is you know, pretty typical, but also like hermaphrodite is still the like accepted and like correct term for an animal that produces both sperm and eggs where it's like, that's really fallen out of uh, the like human uh, lexicon, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, like no one, what people, most people will probably be very upset if you like, were like, oh, that's your hermaphrodite. It's like, you get yeah. really. I, yeah. you don't really say that anymore but like that is just how you describe most animals like and there's like yeah like a worm or like starfish um like a lot a lot of them um and there's yeah. even like the hermaphrodite like, hermaphrodite animals are broken down into different 
types, like they're simultaneous hermaphrodites, yeah. which are animals that can produce sperm and eggs at the same time. And there's also, I have a lot of facts about these guys, like sequential hermaphrodites, where they transition from one to the other over the course of their life. Um, like almost always from female animals to male animals, but occasionally male to female. Um, it's just interesting, like how far you can break it down and how far that starts to like stray like people will i feel like love to compare uh humans to animals in a way where they're like in both sort of uh like positive and negative ways where people will simultaneously be like there's not gay animals or like oh homosexuality is natural there are gay animals um but it doesn't ever really like broach the fact of like there are animals that just can all natural completely like change their sex based on like any number of conditions that cause that. Yeah. Or there's like animals that like, right. So like um, one of, um, I, I learned about this from the book, um, sex slash gender biology and a social world by Ann Foster Sterling. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say it's, it's either sunfish or bluegills, or maybe those are the same fish. I can't remember. I don't really understand fish. <laughs> um, I have so many fish facts. <laughs> yes, you said that you a lot of your <laughs> animals. But oh, um, <laughs> are you familiar with this like species of fish <laughs> and like their the the interesting way that they do sex? Um, I'm not familiar with how they specifically do. I'm familiar with sunfish because there's a video of these like Boston fishermen seeing what they think is a whale, but actually it's a sunfish, and it's it's quite funny. Um, but, uh, no. (laughs) Okay, so, um, there's a, um, so, basically, um, the, the sort of, like, typical, uh, the species, like, sort of, like, biologically, I think is pretty, like, typical in the sense that there's, like, Sperm producers, egg producers, male, female. Um, nothing really like too fancy going on, like biologically. But <laughs> like on the level of like, I don't know, like I don't want to say culture because that feels like anthropomorphizing. But like on the level of behavior, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. They like um, the like typical way that they like fertilize eggs or whatever. Um, is basically like the female will like lay the eggs in like a little nest and then swim in a circle around it to like advertise like hey come shoot your sperm on my eggs like (laughs) we're chilling Um, and (laughs) then you know a male will stop by and and do his thing and then head off Um, but and the the males are territorial right Um, I guess that's also a sort of like pertinent thing um the but so that's like one thing but then there are two other sort of like forms of not it feels weird to call it forms because it does it does sort of like apparently track some like morphological characteristics but there are um forget i think they're called like sneaker males and satellite males where they're like they're they're males they're sperm producers but and I think actually it's it might be they might be the same fish oftentimes and it's just like they 
use one reproductive strategy when they're young and then the other reproductive strategy when they're older. Where like the sneaker males, they're just like small and they just like try to zoom in and leave. <laughs> like basically get 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 away from the, the bigger territorial male. But then the satellite males um look and behave more like the female fish, like in the sense they like swim in these circles, they like build nests, but their goal is to sort of be mistaken for females so that they can get close to the other females and release their sperm over the eggs. <laughs> um, yes, I've heard, this is a crazy thing. Right? But it, so that's <laughs> one, I just think it's funny that um, there's a fish version of like uh, the, um, you know, the, the fabled. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the, the fabled they map that paints their nails to um, totally not sort of like uh, you know we're not doing trans panic uh, trans misogyny here uh, when we talk about they're they're totally creepy. Um. <laughs> it's no, it's true. I mean, like that is it's it's so funny. There's like a few animals that do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, fish kind of uh, just like go crazy with their like sex gender uh, shit. There's this like this entire type of fish called uh, like their wrasses, um, and uh, there's a bunch like that. Um, there's one in particular called the kobudai, which is um, I'm I'm actually afraid of uh, big fish. Like anytime there's a fish bigger than a goldfish, but not a shark or something. I'm sort of like, there's no, you don't have to be that big. Like, why are you really large? Um, and it, it's, this is besides the point, but it scares me. Um, and these fish have like whole teeth and stuff. Um, but basically they, they live in uh, groups where there's one male, which is significantly larger um, than all of the female fish it lives with. Um, and he just like mates with all of them. Um, and that's how the situation goes. But if and when one of those female fish reaches uh, basically like a critical mass, like they have to reach <laughs> a specific body size, um, it begins to transform into a male fish um, over the course of a few months, just like the hormones sort of switch and like um, the like egg producing organs atrophy and it starts producing sperm. Um, and so once that transformation has been completed, it will emerge and the new male fish and the original male fish will fight with their huge, scary teeth. Um, oftentimes one of them will die. Um, if they don't die, I guess they're kind of exiled. And whoever wins has that new territory now. Oh my um, goodness. It's really kind of fascinating. Um, That's Cal what are they? California sheephead fish, which are the same sort of fish. Um, all of them are born female. And eventually some of them around like four to six years of age, I think, will transition into male fish. Um, again, usually once they hit a certain size, especially if there's like an imbalance in their local sheephead ecosystem. Um, right. Like it's, it's funny, like certain social cues like that will trigger a hormonal response um, in these fish, uh, which causes That's them so to... It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. No, it's, it literally is, like, so interesting. Like, I, so you sent me this Elizabeth Gross article that I regretfully did not get a chance to read all the way through. 
but it was interesting that some of the stuff I did read from it, like talking about the sort of contiguity between nature and culture was very interesting. It made me think a lot about some of this stuff because like, um, I don't know, it just seems like people, it's right, there's both, like we said earlier, like the anthropomorphizing impulse that you want to resist, but then also the kind of like opposite end of that spectrum, which is like the human exceptionality thesis, like the idea that there's mm -hmm. like this, that the thing that we have built with culture is like so like sort of like unique and far removed from anything that a non-human animal has that like we can't think about like like this is all just like instinct or something in right. some way that like what we call culture isn't instinct or something like yeah no for like, sure it's 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 hard it's i did just um i've been listening to audiobooks at work lately and i listened to the audiobook for blind sight by peter watts um which is a really I don't know. I, I was like alternating between like this is so cool and this is so annoying, which I think is a <laughs> sign of sign of good sci-fi. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. But um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it was just like, uh, but are these aliens really self-aware? And it was it was it was it was kind of annoying. Um, but like also cool. I don't know. It was like mean-spirited Galapagos. If you've ever read the. The Kurt Vonnegut novel Galapagos. That's a really good I one. I have not actually. It's a good one. Um, I'll check it out. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, but it's good. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. Then um, I don't know. Like like another thing I was thinking about. Um, right there's uh like morning geckos are. This is another gecko. Uh, gecko fact. <laughs> Um, morning geckos are a predominantly female species. Every once in a while, there'll be a male born, but it's like exceedingly rare. Um, and I think the males are actually probably sterile. I don't know for sure, um, but it doesn't really matter because they reproduce by parthenogenesis. Um, so they're capable of reproducing on their own. But if you just have like one morning gecko, sometimes it'll it'll like lay fertile eggs just kind of on its own um but oftentimes what makes them lay eggs quicker and more like they'll lay more eggs if they do it is um they engage in pseudo copulation um so like they literally like hump each other and then they lay fertile eggs um that's which incredible. is so fascinating because that's like right the 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 they don't like exchange genetic material or anything they just like <laughs> I don't know, right? That's it's awesome. like it's like so. so is it like, like two female morning guests yeah, or something? Yeah. Other? Oh yeah, wow! Oh sick. yeah. And I, I, I did, I did look this up because I was really curious. <laughs> I, I was like, so like, does only the bottom lay fertile eggs, or <laughs> apparently they both lay fertile eggs if they if they pseudo copulate? <laughs> I guess. I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's anthropomorphizing to assume that there's a bottom in gecko sex. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, like I've seen, I've seen like videos of geckos. Um, they call it lock locking is the is the preferred euphemism. Um, when they like put their slits up against one another and the male sticks out a hemipene. Um, <laughs> uh, but um. 
I, I don't I mean like there's like one of them is clearly like the one that would be penetrating if they had something to penetrate. Um I assume. I don't know. Maybe that's like maybe that's human chauvinist or <laughs> anthropomorphic or something like that. No, um, I mean if we take like bottom and top to strictly mean like penetrating or being penetrated, it's Yeah. You could I mean you could say that obviously it becomes more complex than that but if you if that's yeah. how some people that's how some people define it and if that's what it is then then yeah. there's a bottom gecko yeah but it, they, they both get, they both get they both get pregnant apparently or they both get gravid or lay fertile eggs i well, guess win-win yeah um we love our <laughs> lesbian geckos um, so yeah they're they're really cute they're really small um they're very they're a very cute gecko species um yeah they're they're called morning geckos um because because they're all they're an all-female species the the people that discovered them were like oh they must be mourning their husbands which is really like goofy like no they don't so goofy they don't have they don't have those they're geckos first of all oh wow (laughs) since their geckos are next um oh that's so wild that's really funny i do like it when people sort of extend the anthropomorphizing that hard to animals that aren't mammals um i feel like sometimes people draw the line when it's not a mammal anymore and they're like that's just a creature um so in a way i think it's a little uh funny in a way that i appreciate when they extend it that far uh, right, <laughs> but then you just you have to remember, like you know, these are not like widow. <laughs> They're not like when will my husband return from war, geckos? <laughs> oh, that's so silly. I feel like I have some reptile facts in here somewhere. Yeah, um, I just like I just wrote that snakes apparently have uh, forked the clitoris, clitori, uh, in addition to having forked penises, not at once, just like that's interesting. Yeah, huh. it's kind of fascinating. That I mean, that makes sense, right? There's the it, right. right. That's, that's the that's the hemipene is the is the forked penis is uh got it. Um, yeah, the geckos have those too. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it makes sense if you consider what you know the concept that both clitorises and penises start out the same. Yeah, it makes or sense that they would be forked as well. Have have some analogous function or analogous, you know? I don't know. Um. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Um, Do you know about like the spotted hyena uh, situation? Yes, yes. They, they, I wrote yes. <laughs> they like give birth out of their clitorises. Yes, and they're they're huge. And they're huge. Yeah, they, it's like it's sounds horrifying. Like yeah, the, the it giving, is. giving birth out of it. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's really really crazy i think a lot of like sexually mature spotted hyenas have like torn 
uh, yeah. clearances are like, I mean, they're often just called pseudopenises, which is sort of funny. But even like their the labia on them is it's like fused together, so it looks like a scrotum. That's so crazy. It's so it's really crazy, and they have to like they have to retract it the clitoris into their body to have sex. We can be penetrated. They also like they urinate through their pseudo-penises slash clitorises as well, which is kind of fascinating. Wait, sorry, what was that? They, like, they pee through them also. Oh, In addition wow. to reproducing and giving birth, which I feel like is not super... That is, that is really interesting. Yeah, well, they it's also, really all-purpose. Like, right, they also, like, don't they, like... <laughs> they have, like, some sort of, like, social relations that are, like communicated through like licking each other's uh clitorises or something like that right yeah they'll, yes they'll like investigate they'll like sniff them and lick them and i think i read that like uh having a bigger like more erect clitoris uh is actually sort of the opposite of what you would assume and uh makes you a more submissive spotted hyena in the hierarchy oh. Interesting. Uh, which is kind of fascinating. I don't, I wonder, I don't know why that is. I feel um, like I read somewhere once that they were like used in like, there was like some like recipe from like ancient Rome for like, <laughs> uh, like a, a potion that would change your sex and it included like part of the spotted hyena. Um, oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's fascinating. That um, makes sense. Right, because it was like sort of like they they thought that it was um, there were like sort of like ancient or not ancient but like um, old timey uh, <laughs> beliefs around like them either being like um, I think specifically like they thought it was like a sort of like sequential hermaphroditism right where they like change where they change sex um, right. or that they were just like yeah. Yeah, I think it was something like that. I don't. It's funny that it was... like the using animal uh, products is sort of like a DIY HRT regimen lives on, like through horses and stuff. Now, tell as old as time, I guess. Well, now it's now it's soy, actually. <laughs> well, no, I know. Just like I'm, I assume this happened much later on than the. Oh yeah, yeah. Potion. But... Pre-Marin. <laughs> Although you do see there are like some trans women that like will like still use Premarin because they like insist that it's better or something. Um which is very um, funny. Like it is funny. Um, um sounds like an elaborate reason to consume horse piss estrogen, but you know, I mean I just like the idea of like okay. uh, it's I don't know like I imagine it's like kind of like being like a snob about like alcohol or something like you need like the old <laughs> like the vintage you know yeah exactly you need like the brand name only like no generic knockoff Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh my god. 
I feel like I you mentioned locking earlier as like the accepted term, which I actually kind of totally forgot about until today when I in sort of trying to refresh my knowledge on like canine mating, uh tried to just Google uh nodding. And yeah. like every the, the internet knows what I mean. Like it immediately sent me to like canine reproduction. Um but I forgot that that's not like actually what people call it. Um that's <laughs> that, that's just what they call it in porn. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that wasn't like the biologically accepted um term. But I did find out that apparently um the position that like female canines get into when they're receptive to mating um is called flagging, which I think is really funny. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so they're flagging. I think it's because they put like their tail in the air. Um, so okay. it looks like a flag. But I'd like to think that it's more of like a cruising situation going on there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just like it. I like when there's like a term crossover. Right? That's that's extremely good. I like that. It's it's good. I, I enjoy I'm, it. I'm surprised that that hasn't made it onto the... I feel like that should be a... Like, why aren't, why aren't the puppy girls talking about this? I know. I nev- I've never seen anybody talk about it. And it's... I mean, it's not like I'm far from those... I'm pretty integrated into those circles. Like, I've never heard anyone say anything about it. It's kind of... Right? I can't, kind of can't wait to break the news, honestly. Yeah, like... Wait, we, I feel like I just <laughs> really made a discovery. <laughs> so good. Kidats is weird, though. I mean, I kind of feel like because of the nodding uh, phenomenon, most people know how it works. Um, but it is just sort of fascinating. Um, there's a lot of, like sort of uh, trapping involved in animal reproduction. Um, I think it's interesting um, when people will sort of uh, anthropomorphize animals enough to describe some of their uh, mating rituals as being like rape. Um, Because like there are a lot of animals that in their uh yeah, like reproductive sequences um attempt like forced sex with unwilling partners which i guess you could define as rape but it feels odd to me to sort of assign that to an animal um because i feel like it's such a you know i mean like it's a weighted term with a lot of very complex and uh like socially and culturally attached connotations, um, even from like different cultures, that, you know, it feels odd to me to attach that to an animal. Yeah, it's right, it's it's Yeah, it's it's complicated. 
Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on talking about this. So I don't have like the citations. Well, who's that? Do you know, there's like some academic, he's like a gay guy that does like, um, like queer theory meets like history of, of American agriculture about like, he has like a couple essays on like bestiality laws and like animal agriculture that are really interesting. Um, no, but this sounds fascinating. Right. Because the, the sort of problem that you run into with like, so in a lot of places, like bestiality laws are basically written like with like a sort of clause that's like, none of this applies if the like procedure being carried out is like a recognized agricultural technique. And like, it doesn't, give you right. anything more than that because like logically like if they say like oh like penetration or like then you you essentially outlaw like artificial insemination which is like the backbone of like you can't do animal agriculture without it mm-hmm. yeah no it is it is really interesting to think about like where people draw the line between bestiality and I guess necessity this reminds yeah. me I was wondering if this would if this would come up do you know about um Peter the dolphin is this the dolphin that the woman was like jerking off it sure is okay so I like one semester of undergrad I can't uh, yeah no this was this was the semester um real real podcast fans will remember i referenced this semester uh in my episode (laughs) with noah uh the doing a punk home where we do tumblr discourse in real life or something like that um as this was the semester that i also decided that um any any sort of forward thought or planning constituted fascism um okay this this is because i was abusing um adderall Oh <laughs> sure. Yes. Um during during finals week, uh one night I was this didn't have anything to do with any of my finals. I was just uh <laughs> in the I library at like two o'clock in the morning reading a bunch of different articles about um Peter the Dolphin and all the sort of like weird like seventies attempts at like human dolphin communication and getting really emotional and crying about it. Yeah, it's um, it's really wild. Yeah. Um, sorry, what were you going to say about Peter the Dolphin, though? <laughs> oh, um, I was just gonna, you know, it ties into the whole like, is it bestiality if it becomes medically necessary or scientifically necessary, which. I mean, I guess if you're considering this experiment to be scientifically necessary, it, it, well, I don't know. It seems like you, you can't really argue it's necessary. Like they did originally move Peter the dolphin to the tank with the other dolphins so he could have sex with them, but they just kind of decided that that was like too annoying. So the woman, Mary Lovett, just kind of began masturbating him herself because it like took too much time and effort to, because they're pretty big to move Peter around. Also, I mean, just like yeah. it was like a lot of, of work to have a dolphin. 
it, yeah, it definitely was. Um, but does it make jerking off the dolphin necessary? You know? Yeah. Who's to say? Um, also, like, the whole experiment was, for audience members that don't know, like, this was a government-funded experiment, partly from NASA, um, where they these scientists were trying to teach dolphins to speak English in the hopes that if they could, they would be able to communicate with extraterrestrial life should they find it. Um, also, this was the 60s, so people were, there's like a lot of government-funded LSD research, so they also kind of like were just giving the dolphins LSD at the same time that they were trying to teach them English. Um, although allegedly Peter was never given LSD, but the other ones were. Okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's really just kind of a weird situation from start to finish yeah um just every part of it's bizarre yeah like he got too horny to teach him english that was the issue <laughs> which you know like relatable yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like okay like to, to sort of like take us back off quite so many tangents um, no, I, I brought up the, like, animal agriculture thing, because the sort of, like, right, I'm also vegan, and, like, a thing, like, you don't see vegans do it as much anymore, um, right, but it used to be, like, way more of a thing people would talk about, like, um, you know, like, the fact that, like, cows need to be, like, forcibly impregnated in order to produce dairy or whatever, right, mm-hmm. and so people would use the language of, like, sexual violence for that, um, which is like rhetorically like very inflammatory um maybe so inflammatory that it loses like uh utility um and also yeah just like i don't know it it does seem like i guess i i feel like i have a kind of um interesting approach to veganism in that i don't so much have a good argument for veganism i just don't have a good argument for not being vegan and so i sort of was like well I don't want to just take the sort of like default, you know, social cultural position. I'll take the the weird one um, and make that my default. And then if someone can give me a good argument for eating meat, like, okay, but no one has. And I don't, I don't, I don't think that there is one, but that's, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, like, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian and I would agree. I like, I don't think there's really a great argument to be made, at least in like, america for right like and if you like are able to choose the food that you're purchasing like i don't think that there's a hugely uh like there's not an argument that carries a lot of weight as to why you should be vegan i'm i'm not just because i have like i have a lot of food um aversions and it makes it really difficult for me to get like necessary amounts of protein if i'm not eating meat but i do like as somebody that really cares for animals and will like cry anytime i see it like a fictional animal suffer like just go through like insane mental gymnastics to pretend i'm not yeah eating meat i like i won't cook my own (laughs) meat i can't like look at raw meat um if i see the meat before it's cooked i i I lose my like i can't eat it um but yeah i know that's kind of a tangent as well but
Yeah. So where, where where was I going with all this? I can't remember. Anymore. Um, I guess the point is Sorry. just like no, no, it's 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 interesting, right? Because it does seem like I don't know, like on the one hand, you can kind of like look at like <laughs> it seems I don't I don't know, right? Um, I guess I want to say that like we can recognize suffering in in you know across species or whatever or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. that does seem like a kind of you know minimal level of like understanding, you know that maybe doesn't necess- doesn't necessarily require all these other kinds of like I don't know like language or whatever but um I don't I don't know yeah like, I guess I guess I'm sort of thinking about what you're talking about with the way people use rape to describe some um animals mating practices that yeah involve like force or like restraint or something like that um yeah i mean like there are animals oh sorry no no what were you gonna say um there are animals namely uh ducks which i feel like is sort of an iconic example of a guy having a really fucked gender or sex in this instance i guess a really fucked penis (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah when a guy has a really fucked penis um like where ducks have these crazy uh like corkscrew shaped dicks um, which are huge relative to their body size. Like, uh, oh wait, no, sorry, that was a different animal fact. They are big though, um, but <laughs> like they have these insane corkscrew penises. Um, one theory that they have penises full stop because uh, most birds don't is because they mate in water. So if they were to just do the typical form of bird mating where they do the like cloacal kiss, uh, which is what it's called. Um, a lot of the like, sperm okay. <laughs> I know it's really funny <laughs> that like a lot of the sperm could be washed away so that's one theory nobody really knows for sure why they have penises but they do um, but ducks are also kind of notoriously very aggressive with their uh, mating practices um, like they will attempt to mate with uh, other ducks that are not willing to um you know sometimes uh so many male ducks will be trying to mate with a female duck that is not receptive that the female duck will actually drown um it's sort of crazy um but so female ducks also have kind of uh really fucked vaginas uh which are also shaped weird they're sort of like shaped the opposite (laughs) corkscrew way of the duck's penis but they're really only able to fully uh, accommodate a duck penis if they're receptive to mating and like relax otherwise it just doesn't fit especially because ducks um, don't become erect until they're already in the vagina um, but so duck vaginas also have these weird sort of like nooks and crannies where if a duck uh, that is trying to mate with an unreceptive female duck uh ejaculates like manages to ejaculate in her vagina a lot of the sperm will just be like stored in these weird little pockets and never actually fertilizes an egg like only it's something like only three percent of duck births are product of uh mating that wasn't uh like between a receptive female duck and a male duck um it's really sort of an instance of like a woman's body has a way of shutting that whole thing down like maybe one of the only instances 
Um, but it is sort of a fascinating thing where there's been like a biological response to like a f- aggressive forced mating practice. Right. And it's, it's interesting, I guess, sort of like, you know, thinking about this from like the perspective of the, I, I didn't get to read like all of the section, but I did get to the section where gross is sort of talking about the distinction between like natural selection and sexual selection, where it's like, the fact that for Darwin, these are like two kind of separate concepts that are like, right, natural, I, I don't know, right? it's interesting, like natural selection is, I guess, like, well, I don't know, could, could you describe those, <laughs> those two? Now I'm sort of second guessing my ability to describe them. <laughs> yeah, sure. So the idea is that natural selection is, uh, you know, like a survival of the fittest thing, like if a animal is born that is particularly small uh it like can't receive uh or like born prematurely it can't receive adequate nutrients to grow and uh thrive and typically that leads to them being like picked off by predators uh or like picked off by members of their own species sometimes um or like if you're born if an animal is maybe born uh, i don't know like blind or something when it's an animal that really relies on sight um it just drastically decreases that animal's chances of survival. And in the terms of like evolution, this happens over a very extended period of time where uh, traits will sort of be like whittled out in a way. Um, this is the theory, at least, you know, um, which I guess it's still technically is a theory. I don't know. It's you know, very widely accepted. Um, I'm not trying to disagree with it. Um, and so that's natural selection is purely about like, will you as a species, like a a member of your species, be able to survive and produce offspring, like at all? Is it even a possibility? Um, Whereas sexual selection is more sort of, uh, he, Darwin describes it as less sort of like, uh, the stakes aren't as high. Um, It's basically like, does a mate find you attractive and want to mate with you? Are you the prettiest bird? Do you build the best nest? Like, are you the most likely to draw in mates? Um, so he says that, or Gross says, both of them say that sexual selection is like a totally different thing. To me, they sort of seem like, uh, they're both natural selection in a way. It's more of like a primary and a secondary form of selection. Whereas like natural selection is like a primary form where like you yourself will die if you have a trait that is detrimental to you. Whereas sexual selection is like, okay, you're not going to die, but you're also not going to produce offspring. Which is So your your genes will die. From the perspective, yeah, I was going to say, like, it doesn't matter, like, how long a creature lives from, like, a genetic perspective, unless, well, I don't, (laughs) yeah, like, in in terms of, like, the generation of species or, like, the generation of different sorts of life. And actually, I guess that there there is, I do have, like, one more fun animal fact um, before before we finish here that has to do with with species and effort. Well, but I want to finish this first before we get off on that. Um, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's just like, right, the the sort of, um, yeah, like what, what is, what what is, um, where was I going? Fuck. <laughs> the, um, from like a sort of like yeah, from like the perspective of like your genes, like it doesn't matter how long you live if you never yeah pass them on, like they they still die with you. 
Um, right. Yeah. You, from like an evolutionary standpoint. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, there's these two sort of, and I guess it's interesting, right? This sort of like level at which like, right. Cause so I was, I was doing some research, like I said, I was reading, I was trying to figure out like, well, why are there two sexes? Like, why is, why do we only really see like, as, as far as I'm aware of, there aren't really any species that have like, like as far as there might be like multiple like sort of like sex forms or something like that, you don't really see like species that need more than two individuals to do reproduction if they need more than one individual, right? Like mm. one and two seem to be the most common numbers. And like the answer seems to basically just be like, well, when you start adding more and more, it becomes a lot harder to reproduce, right? Yeah. You, you get this advantage of like sort of increasing like genetic variability and that sort of like drives, you know, um, new potentials and like potential, you know, like new potentially like more successful like <clears throat> forms of life or whatever. Um but once you sort of like start adding three in, it becomes a lot harder. And like one of the things I was I was reading about was, um, you know, sort of scientists that were trying to sort of like say, figure out like, okay, well, why they're talking about gametes, right? Um, oh. You know, and this is one of the kind of definitions that like transphobes really like to use for sex yeah. because it's like so sort of like stripped down and has like nothing to do with what most people are talking about. They talk about like you know, oh, the male is the one that produces the the small gamete, and the female produces the big gamete. Um, right? And, like, there's, mm-hmm. I guess, the, the sort of, like, you know, the, these studies are all kind of theoretical because the, the sort of information that they would need to sort of, like, talk about, like, well, how did this actually happen is, as far as I'm aware, probably not preserved in any sort of like way. Um, and so we're kind of just guessing, but the the sort of, they did like, you know, some computer simulations and they thought real hard about things and sort of said like, well, it seems like it would just make sense that like the, like once you kind of like end up at the thing where it's like, okay, like we have two cells that, you know, merge together to create a new being. Um, it is like sort of like reproductively viable to either like grow or shrink and it's reproductively viable for those to be sort of like you know two things that like match up with one another like a small and a large can work together to -hmm. produce a new thing um the large like sort of providing um i think in like the the sort of like experiment that they did they were like sort of like they had like a one of the boundaries was that like the two fused um gametes had to like carry a certain amount of like size to them basically in order to like um survive whereas like and so like basically like you end up with these these two it's 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 so weird like right you want to say strategies but they're not strategies because they're not things that are being thought about they're just things that happen right <laughs> that's right. like so much of like evolution is it, it looks like it was thought about but no it just happened and the reason why you're seeing it happen is because it's the thing that was most successful there were other things that were happening you just don't see them because they ended badly right um they right. ended in, in death but um i mean basically the answer was basically was to it was just like well you know it makes sense to get larger and it makes sense to get smaller if you have those kinds of two pressures then 
all the stuff in the middle is just going to kind of like float in one of those two directions and it's all just going to look the same. Um, it did remind me of, uh, I don't, are, are you, are you a Trekkie? <laughs> um, I'm not, sorry. Okay, it's okay. There's a really great Star Trek episode, um, with a, like, species that has three sexes. Um, it's, like, high-key one of the most insane, it's, like, a, it's, like, genuinely an evil episode of Star Trek. Um, it's from the most evil series, uh, Star Trek Enterprise, which was the, the series that was on during the Bush years. Um. Oh, extremely extremely evil like the most evil star trek ever um more evil than like yeah just very evil but the, there's a there's an episode with a species that has three sexes and um the third sex like contributes an enzyme or something that's like important for their reproductive process and it's like only like one or two percent of their population so they're basically just like kept around as sex slaves like um this sounds like, like a Delaney situation. <laughs> it kind of does. Um, but they're like they're like kept around like sex slaves. They're like not given names or educated or anything. They're just like literally like treated like shit. Um they're like kind of androgynous. The episode is like about the um the like engineer on the Enterprise who's this like really cute like Florida boy. Oh my god. He's so cute. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's he's like the only good part of Enterprise. Um, but he he like you know becomes friends with this one and like teaches him how to like read and write and like gives him a name and like <laughs> they become friends and they're like uh, eventually they like <laughs> they've like learned how to talk in like two days. <laughs> Because they're, awesome. they're, cause they're, it's like the, the Enterprise like meets up with this alien ship while they're like out in the middle of nowhere studying, studying something. And the, the aliens are like way more advanced technologically. And they're like, ooh, like maybe we can like get like some trade agreements or get some like technology or something, you know? And so the captain's like trying to stay on their good side. Meanwhile, the engineer is like becoming friends with their, one of their sex slaves. Um, and uh basically the 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 third gendered alien is like i want to you know request asylum on board the enterprise because you know in my society i'm like a sex slave <laughs> and i don't want to do that um and the the captain is like no i don't i would rather you know stay on good side with your with your species and i want the technology and the trade agreements and all that stuff. So, nope, you have to go back to the, you have to go back to your ship. Um, and I'm like, I am like partially convinced that I'm like reading this episode wrong or something because like the thing that it seems to be doing is so like mind bogglingly like evil that I'm like, there's no way that like people like actually were like, okay, yeah, that'll be like how this episode ends. But the, the, the... It does sound like it. <laughs> but the way well the way that it ends is they they sort of go back to their ship and they 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 kill themselves. Um Oh wow. And you know, then like the last scene is the captain telling the engineer like yeah, you know, like they went back and they killed themselves. And um and the captain is being portrayed like sympathetically through this. This is not like a like sort of like anti or like a like a like a oh the you know, protagonist is 
is being villainous here or something like this is it seems to be like sympathetic to but like the sort of message is like look where your like you know prissy liberal sensibilities got you this was a, this is your fault like the captain blames the engineer for this and is like you shouldn't have done that oh um, my god it's <laughs> it's high key evil. awful it's extremely evil um wow but um but yeah no i i'm this is like returning back to you know um i guess right it's interesting to think about the i guess presumptive origin of right like i assume that i guess i don't actually know like did sex originate with um what's the what's like this what's the the type of uh the type of reproduction that starfish do that we were talking about at the beginning where they just like spray things a broadcast spawning Right, broadcast spawning. So, like, is is that I don't know is is that the origin of like sex? Um, I don't know if it's the origin. Uh, okay, that is sort of beyond my. Yeah, knowledge. I don't know either. I I guess I should have looked that up, but I guess it's it sort of seems to me like that would make an easy sort of like explanation for why two seems to be the number that makes sense because. You know, yeah. it's hard enough. It's hard enough to get two things to collide. Anything past that, it, it gets way harder. Um, yeah. But the, oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Um, the gross piece sort of is like addressing this with the barnacle example, um, where barnacles are super. Oh, super I didn't old. get to that part. Oh, okay. So yeah, um, they take. She takes barnacles as an example where. Darwin did like a lot of work on barnacles and barnacles are, I think they're sessile. So they, they don't move, you know, they like anchor themselves right. to uh, usually a rock, but sometimes other things if needed. Um, and once they're there, like they're there, they don't, they don't move. Um, so barnacles seem to have originally all started out as simultaneous hermaphrodites. So that, because if you're a barnacle, you are reproducing with the barnacle next to you. Like, that's it. You don't have any other option. Um, like, that's it. So if you are a creature that cannot move and you can only reproduce with the creatures around you, it is uh, hugely advantageous to be able to reproduce with any of them. If you only had a 50-50 shot, um, that would really, like, not bode well for your species' survival. Um, so that is why most barnacles are hermaphrodites. However there began to become some barnacles that were just females. Um, they like found barnacles with sort of atrophying, uh, like male sex attributes. Um, and kind of seemingly the argument goes from gross because that happened, there then became male barnacles to complement the female barnacles. Um, and so the argument sort of goes in her view that um, sexual selection, in a sense, exists because of female discernment, in a way, or necessity to, like, complement uh, female organisms, which, you know, maybe. Um, but it is sort of an interesting thing to think about, sort of, like, the order of sex evolution, at least in these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like a lot of the male barnacles that started to, uh, you know, come about are sort of 
uh, they're really rudimentary. Like they're just basically like sacs of sperm that attach themselves to the female barnacles. Um, they're not like a fully, I know it's so hard to talk about this without like anthropomorphizing them. Right. Um, and like they're not like a fully cognizant. It's like, okay, it's a barnacle cognizant. Like, um, but they're basically, they're very like, uh, yeah, they, they seem very, yeah, yeah, rudimentary, like compared to the more fully developed female barnacles. Um, and there's a lot of species like this. Um, not a lot, but a handful with like what's called sexual parasitism. Um, anglerfish do this. Um, yeah, I was going yeah, be- <laughs> yeah, because like it's so hard to find a mate that far down in the ocean. Like you can't really waste time just waiting for one uh, to like come around and pass you by. So if the teeny tiny male anglerfish finds a female anglerfish, they just latch onto it for life. Um, and it's basically absorbed into the female anglerfish. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of fascinating. Just crazy. Yeah. Barnacles also have like crazy penises. They actually do have the largest penis. That's what yeah. I was I was gonna say I that is one of the barnacle facts that I know. <laughs> yeah, they can also change it to modify their the environment that they're in. Um, like barnacles that are in like an upper tidal zone where there's not a lot of wave action have extremely long thin penises whereas barnacles that are in uh like a lower tidal area where there's a lot of rough wave action have basically have chodes um because it's easier to control them fascinating (laughs) um but if you move the barnacles they will change their penises that's so cool oh my god yeah the barnacles have they have they have so many different straps for the (laughs) exactly yeah oh my god that's so cool um yeah yeah okay it's pretty, um, pretty fascinating this is so cool i do want to move us towards wrapping up but i have i have one more animal thing to talk about and i also have some like i guess general sort of like theoretical statements to offer which are like we're sure. talking about like you know like earlier like i was talking about like oh like you know like from like the evolutionary perspective like it doesn't matter whether you like, you know, die immediately after being born or you like live a full long life but never manage to like reproduce. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of like gene fitness. Like one, like I think from like that seems to be like there are like arguments within like sort of like evolutionary like biology that that's not true, right? Like I don't exactly like remember all this stuff but there's like this sort of grandparent effect which i guess right talking about grandparents is you know distinct but i i have to imagine that you could make like a similar argument for like an uncle or an aunt or like some other sort of like social relationship right um where there is like a potential non there is like a potential like species wide although i guess that this has i don't I don't know how well in sort of like I, I when I was doing like sort of research um previously I saw some scientists saying that this way of thinking had fallen out of favor recently um I don't know if that's actually true or if that's like just them being like partisans to their own way of thinking or whatever um but one way or the other like it also is very clear that like um trying to sort of like to thinking um 
evolution in this kind of like brute biological way uh it's just kind of wrong right like i was talking earlier about the sort of like contiguity between like culture and nature and that was the thing that was going on in the gross article um and it seems pretty clear that whatever's like you know sort of like going on with humans right um like our culture has gotten you know kind of wacky um <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know clearly going to have an effect now on the the way that whatever happens with not just us but like everything that we're affecting which is all the life that we know of um right you know um so that's a thing but then also like there's you know other perspectives besides just like evolutionary that are important um right like i never had kids didn't save sperm no longer have gonads. <laughs> I am not passing on my genes. But, you know, like, sort of, like, um, culturally, I hope that I have some kind of impact. Um, you know, socially, communally, or whatever. Like, I, I, you know, do have an impact on the people around me, I suspect. And um, <laughs> I don't know. that That's that's a, that's a thing that's worth thinking about and caring about. Um, right? Uh I guess I just want to, you know, we've had fun doing like animal, animal fact hour. Um, <laughs> and I guess a thing that we've kind of been wrestling with are all the ways that it's very easy to start talking like a fascist when you start talking about this, you know, like we've been talking about like the kind of twin drives towards like human exceptionalism and like anthropomorphizing animals. And it's hard. It's really hard to do these kinds of conversations you almost kind of have to, like, at some point, be like, okay, I'm going to be, like, a little bit of a fascist here. Um, right. Otherwise, you just are trying to invent everything from, from scratch, and you just can't can't share your fun animal facts. Um, and that's what exactly. we're here for. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, maybe, maybe this last animal fact is actually kind of a good one to leave us on, because I think it kind of... Um, is is a really cool example that kind of rakes out a lot of the kind of um you know uh <laughs> uh the gunk that we're kind of trying to work around and it, it it is also it's one that I only learned about like very very recently and I was blown away when I did um because it seems to be like so you know I'm sure Tell, tell me what what is a species? A species? Species? Yeah, yeah. Like, how would you define species? Um, I'm trying to remember like which order like animal taxonomy goes in, but I it basically it's a species to me is like one of the modes of grouping together animals or right. creatures that share some similar sort of traits, um, mm -hmm. typically through evolution or, you know, biology or not sometimes, I don't think behavior usually sometimes well, I don't quite know actually. Yeah, so so the the definition I didn't know if you were gonna get this. I guess maybe I should have just given it instead of assuming <laughs> that you would get there, um, right? Uh, like species is generally defined by um, at least the the definition that I was always given in like biology classes, and that you see people 
Um, the largest group of organisms of organisms within which any two individuals of the appropriate mating types can produce fertile offspring. Um, oh. Right. Um, and so this is why, right, people talk about like, well, there are like, you know, animals that don't fit into a species like ligers or mules, right? Where it's like mm. they're produced by, you know, they're living their life, but they, they don't produce fertile offspring. Um, lions and tigers are still two separate species, even though they're capable of mating together, supposedly, right? Um, right. I mean, right, species, species realism is like a whole kind of, was a debate in philosophy of biology at one point. I don't know how live that debate is anymore. Um, seems like kind of a weird debate, but also, <laughs> um, I think I might have said this before. It's very funny. You like dig into like the natural kinds literature where like people talk a lot, a lot about like, is sex a natural kind? Um, and by natural kind, they just mean like, is this a like, um, I think like one of the phrases that you'll hear sometimes is it's like the joints of reality. Like they talk about like, oh, like, you know, like, yeah, there's like all these like sort of like social construction and stuff. But like, is there like a, a sort of like bare form? Like, is there like a bare, like sort of like minimal thing that we can say, no, this is like real in some sense that isn't like in some sense that's like outside of like human influence or human interpretation or something. Um, people love doing this, but then like, yes, within the, within the literature like it's very funny right like i said there's you know there was at one point at least like a sort of like live debate about like are, are species one of these things like do species exist outside of you know human interpretation and human grouping and all this stuff um but at least in some of the literature that i was surveying the in natural kinds one of their go-to examples was a tiger <laughs> like well there's you know, you know this whole debate about like are are species real so it's like you're calling you're using this as like a sort of simple example but it's really not that simple um so that's that was that that's a little hobby horse of mine um but kind of kind of kind of kind of separate from that right um you know so there's a um here we go mole salamanders um mole salamanders are a genus of salamanders so there's um there's a sort of variety of um different species right which you know sort of means that they are like sort of like reproductively isolated from one another um that um wide variety of like appearance or like you know behavior um the axolotl is like a really famous example of one of the mole salamanders i love um, those guys yeah they're so cute um they're awesome the tiger salamander is another really common one um spotted salamanders um There are, within the genus of mole salamanders, there are hybrid all-female populations um, where they are essentially, like, 
hybridized forms between two um two species two of the two of these species that then continue to sort of like reproduce by essentially like stealing the sperm from um <laughs> or, wait what do i mean by stealing sperm um <laughs> what do you mean i don't know i'm trying to remember <laughs> <laughs> um but they essentially write the um i But essentially, the point is that that they they sort of are recombining. Like there's, they're I guess that they're not stealing sperm. I guess they're mating. I don't actually know how salamanders mate. Hmm. But they're they're getting sperm from a species, right? There's these, you know, two species that might normally be, you know, if you just took like a sort of like standard male and female from them, they would not have sort of like compatible genomes to produce viable offspring. Um, or maybe they would actually, I don't know, right? Because now I'm like, well, it clearly happened once. So I don't know why I'm assuming that it couldn't happen again. But my assumption is, is that it, it typically doesn't happen again. Um, but the... Um, there are these like hybrid all female populations where they're sort of like continually doing this and surviving, like creating a sort of like genealogy of, um, yeah, maybe like in this generation mating with a smallmouth salamander, and then in this generation mating with a streamside salamander, and in this generation mating with a blue spotted salamander, and all these sort of like, <laughs> um, oh all these like sort of like genomes are kind of like stacking on top of each other and creating something really um yeah that's really fascinating i had no idea that that uh, right sort of I, I wish that i'd done more research on it because i feel like i've done probably a bad job explaining it and i'm sure someone listening <laughs> would be like it's actually like this um but yeah, like there's, from what I understand it, this is basically like a thing that has happened. And so it's like, right, we, we have all these, I mean, like, I guess like on the one hand, like there's, you know, sort of maybe a like sort of like scientific um, humility that we should all keep in mind that like reality is not going to like follow the rules of science. Like the rules are descriptive and we should not be so like, um brave as to think that like we've gotten it right um but also just like you know species is a like this is like a ex post facto like way of thinking about evolution like the way that evolution happens is just like does this thing work and you know there's no like real reason there's no like in principle reason why you know stuff like this couldn't happen more it just is exceedingly rare but it has happened right um you know there's uh a, apparently according to um yeah according to the this article i'm reading about the unisexual 
mole salamanders, they do form, all the unisexuals do form a monophyletic group based on mitochondrial DNA. So there was like a, there was like an original hybridization that happened like probably once and then this just was successful enough to continue. Um, so, yeah. That's so they managed to like continue to be fertile even though they're reproducing with uh, like creatures outside their species. Is that, that the that, that that yeah that we would say are outside their species based on like genome wow. and like yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for them. Right? They made it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. They really did. Um. But yeah, so this has been when a when a species has a really fucked gender has really yeah fucked exactly <laughs> just so many of them <laughs> yes um yes. thank you so much for being here Talia do you have anything you want to like plug for the audience or I don't know um, I mean I'm certainly if it wasn't obvious not. Like zoologists of any kind. I have no animal related things to plug. Um, I do have a little like digital archive on uh lesbians fucking in public that is on my Twitter. There's a link to it there. Um yeah, I'll put a link to, to both your Twitter account and to the, the lesbian public sex archive. Thank you. Um but yeah, that's it's kind of on hiatus, but it does exist, and I do think it's kind of cool. So I could plug that. Other than that, um, not I mean, I plug just going rogue and like learning about weird animal sex. Um, you'll either like make friends or you're really gonna weird people out, but it's kind of fun yeah. either way. This archive looks so cool. I'm so excited to re- read through this later. Um, we talked oh, a little bit. Of- we talked a little bit um, before we started recording about uh, like cruising for dikes, and um, that was one of the I think the most listened to episodes of this podcast. So um, if you've made it this far in this episode and uh, you liked the cruising for dikes episode, go look at the go look at Talia's lesbian sexual venues archive. Um, yeah, it's... yeah, it kind of is saying the same thing, which is they're not really cruising, but they did used to fuck in public a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> which is still kind of cool. Yeah. I would say. It's cool. I think it's cool. It's cool. It's, you know, I think people, it's cool. People want it to come back. Um, they sure do. We can we can make it That'd happen. That'd be a great episode. <laughs> what? <laughs> like like modern sex party hosts. I don't actually know. That oh. might be a bad episode. <laughs> well, but it I, would I, be an episode. I am trying to get... I do want to get... um. What's that girl? Ayala? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Capture the flag. I really want her. Yeah, I really want oh, her. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, she is... She does seem evil, but... um. <laughs> she f- is fascinating. Very fascinating. Um, I took, like, all those surveys on her website for fun. It was great. Um, she I, seems nuts. I got most of the way through filling out the application for her sex party once out of curiosity, and then I was like, I don't I don't actually want to hit submit on this. Um. Yeah, that's, like, the one I didn't fill out. 
it's very it's like honestly like most of the questions are like pretty reasonable as far as like greening people for a sex party but like um there's a couple that are really good like uh i think my favorite is if you were born in the year like 1500 in a village in the middle of europe and like everyone you know everyone you will ever know is christian christianity is this like pervasive cultural force would you by your own powers come to doubt <laughs> come to doubt it <laughs> that really is a question where it's like how would anybody possibly be able to know the answer to that question right i mean i guess in some sense like i i, I can't tell what the question is like because like from my perspective i'm like yeah. it's basically just like how much of a how much of like a like a self-righteous prick are you but like like how contrarian are you but like but like you know looking at Ayala, i'm like she might just mean it literally <laughs> like it's so hard to tell which ones are like misleading and which ones are real i, I have no idea there um, should be a would you have sex outside your species question <laughs> that honestly that might have also been there i can't remember it wouldn't surprise me it should um, be if it's not are you a salamander? <laughs> so, would you, as a salamander, would you have sex, just hypothetically? Have you seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god! It's a you haven't seen that movie. It's a it's a movie. It's there's there's a joke in it where one character asks the other like asks another like would you fuck a sheep and the character's like what the fuck no I wouldn't fuck a sheep and he's like no you're you're misunderstanding me like. If you were a sheep, would you fuck another sheep? He's like, well, if I were a sheep, like, it'd be normal, right? So, yeah, I guess I'd fuck a sheep. And then he's like, I see, I see. And then he, like, turns to, like, the other people that are, like, around them, but weren't part of that conversation. He's like, yo, this guy just said he wants to fuck a sheep. <laughs> um, and then they throw that guy out of a moving car. Um, <laughs> um, Silent, a movie that has a lot of weird stuff with animals in it honestly um now that i think about it but like, do uh, you know did you hear about this movie that just came out that's like i think it's called like off about this girl who like gets uh like really into like being a horse as like a fetish when she starts getting into the world of like dressage wait no what's this movie called wait let me come on I think it's pronounced. I think it's pronounced Piaf, like P I A F F E. Uh, it's like this girl takes a job as a foley artist. I don't know how that works, but like she starts to grow a tail basically and gets like really into being a horse and like dressage in a fetish way. I haven't seen it, but it's I'm kind of in- I enjoy the trend of like people getting into animals in a weird. Fetish. <laughs> I guess it's what you fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Feels like horse secretary. Interesting. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to stop the recording. On that note, yeah. <laughs>